0: Hey, helpers. This is Being the Work. I'm Blakely Adams. And I'm Ben Wire. And we're glad you're here for our weekly check-in and journey through the bizarre lives of us as therapists and really good friends. We are glad you're here to join in on the discussion. As you know, we have a weekly question that we challenge each other to walk through and explore and consider in balancing out our lives as therapists and human beings
1: quick disclaimer though we're licensed mental health professionals by day but over here we're just your hosts this show is for social connection and enrichment not a guidebook for your specific life or for your treatment it's always okay for you to reach out for help so please check out the resources for mental health support that we put on our show notes join the conversation be connected and doing and being the work
0: hi Ben. Hey Blakely, how are you? I'm all right. I've been on solo parent mode since my spouse is out of town with work for a few days. Um, So we're thriving, okay, but it it is fatiguing. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely used to a little bit of teamwork, so I have a lot of gratitude for my spouse.
1: Oh, good, good, good. So what do we have going today?
0: I've been dwelling a bit on the topics leading up to this, and and what our what our careers are, and how we take care of ourselves, and you know, really simple, easy, fun time topics. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's led me, well, it's led me to one of the big topics that I think you know we we got into our origins, but we really got to talk about the impact that our work has on us. And so mm-hmm. there's there is a there's a topic at hand. Okay. What is your experience with burnout? I just made it past the anniversary of when I quit my full-time job, which was an agency work where Ben and I worked together for a long time.
1: Which means I'm coming up close to two years of of leaving.
0: Working part-time, doing my own hustle, um, taking my own control back. I mean, we spent huge parts of our careers there, and they were big influences on on who we are and how we work. Of course they are. What I'm wanting to dig into and what I'm curious about your experiences with in that deeper way is um, what are your experiences with burnout?
1: That's a great question. And I think it's, it's, my first reaction to the to you asking is a bit of nervousness around the the way that burnout discussions are usually received basically what i'm thinking about are the experiences i've had of people discussing burnout and like in in our workplace but also in supervisions in the past, and you know, things like this. And it's usually, res, you know, received with this is something you need
0: to work on and control. Because I think it goes, it's often paired up with the self care conversation. Yeah. And the self care conversation so often feels like just another criticism, another thing that you're not doing well enough or that you're not doing right. It feels like. A gaslight, and if you're not doing it well enough, then burnout is the consequence.
1: Right. I want to bring into the conversation the where the professional meets the personal, because because when we're only in professional conversations and con- professional spaces, I mm-hmm. think particularly when we
0: were at our last job, you know, the culture is is impersonal, right. Well, of course, I mean, there is a professional expectation to to regulate yourself,
1: yeah. so there's that context of the corporate professionalism. But then there's also the pieces of ethical professionalism and needing to make sure that you are not allowing your own personal things to impact your clients and addressing that stuff. There is a way to synthesize these varying Complex, contradictory things. So for me, I cannot separate my experience from the entire context when I try to talk about this. When I think of the traditional definition of burnout, and particularly going back to the professional quality of life survey
0: we've done that one in meetings and stuff several times before and basically it goes through and assesses a variety of different things of in terms of your like life your satisfaction from your work correct
1: yeah talks about compassion satisfaction compassion fatigue mm-hmm. burnout secondary trauma and it gives concepts about like if you have right. You know, high compassion, satisfaction, moderate to low burnout, and secondary trauma, (laughs) stress. Like, it'll give you ideas of what you need to do. It's a wonderful tool to become aware and to intervene. The way that it's been used in my experience, though, is from this, I'm just going to give you this assessment in a staff meeting I'm going to have you take it,
0: and I'm going to point out all of the things that are wrong. I mean, that's even more directive than, than I've had it sometimes. Sometimes it's just, you seem to be struggling. Go through this and do what it says. Here it is. Like, well, right. Yeah. And, right. and then, in the outcome of that assessment, this is what always confused me the most, is I scored pretty high on a little bit of everything. Of course, I find meaning in the work that I do. Of course, I love the work that I do. I love the clients I work with. Mm -hmm. And it's taken some toll on me, (laughs) right? Yeah. So what am I supposed to do when I feel like I feel good about my work and I feel very challenged in continuing the pace of my work when when I'm also working in an agency that dictates what the pace of my work has to be?
1: Which— Goes to the
0: burnout is inevitable. Absolutely. My perspective is that we've led ourselves to believe that burnout is the consequence of poorly managing ourselves. And I don't think that self-care is about constantly regulating ourselves and policing ourselves. I think that it's about understanding what burnout feels like and looks like and what the contributing factors of that are for us each individually. It's going to look different and feel different for me than it is for you. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I'm constantly running from it as the consequence of my poor behavior, well, then I'm not actually looking at how, when, where is it likely to strike me. Because I just think it is. The work we do is just too personal and unpredictable and it's heavy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like the professional quality of life, folks, define burnout As a part of compassion fatigue that's characterized by feelings of unhappiness, disconnectedness, and insensitivity to the work environment. Hmm. Uh, It can include exhaustion, feeling uh, overwhelmed, bogged down, being out of touch, and not having any beliefs that will continue to sustain you in the work. Man. And so. I think in terms of, I guess in some context too, they see this as sort of a outcome of uh, compassion fatigue, which is like the negative aspects of, of caring for people who have extreme or traumatic stressors. Sure. And I can relate to all of that while I also see that the definitions... Are pretty unidirectional. Like they just kind of lead from one to the next.
0: Right. I don't know that it's that linear,
1: right? Right. I think they're more dynamic because I always felt like I always found joy, meaning, purpose, and sustaining factors in working with my clients. I find it a kind of transcendent experience to be able to be present for people in ways that they have never experienced before. That is so amazing to me. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's precious to me. It's a sacred experience. Sacred is a great word. I want to protect that. Absolutely. While the thing that was exhausting to me was obviously the amount of work, right? Like, the amount of suicide assessments and all of those it's fatiguing. The amount of attention that you have to give and the amount of emotional engagement that there is with that, yes, it's absolutely fatiguing while the sustaining factors of having a community was very difficult to have at at work.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Like of course we, me and you, we stole out. Times of the day to just kind of take a breath,
0: yeah well, because I think in a strange way, the the system in which we were operating specifically, we found those opportunities. Our work was really intensive. yeah, we were on a team that managed the crisis clinic, and so we did work more closely together than in the silos that I think a lot of individual practitioners work. That's true, or just or the just outpatient clinicians that we worked around. Our team was more um, cohesive in that way. Mm-hmm. Which lended itself to some conflict because of the intensity of what we did, but yeah. also I think gave us a spark of what we're talking about here in that sense of community. Because it's what it's how we survive. Right.
1: I just sort of like taking this idea of um, like the psychological theories and putting them toward ourselves and not just like how to how to
0: use them for clients. Like Oh, you mean I, I thought we were above those. Do we have to do that? <laughs> no. No, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm a scientist, damn it, that's all.
1: Like we're we're actually human. That's right. <laughs> we're actually humans too and and yeah, like therapists are people too and and <laughs> we we yeah, we're just a technician. Like finding community is very important and I you know, obviously that is a, a big push of why we're doing this now of like people need a place to turn. To find you know something that will energize them and and know help them know that they're not alone and and things like that, and I felt the isolation a lot at at work, um, feeling like the only kind of buoyancy was while I was with my clients um because everything else was like political and money driven and it was numbers driven, and all of that. The culture was very kind of crisisy, fear-driven. Certainly,
0: and some—I mean, some of that can't be helped because the point of that agency is to treat incredibly disenfranchised people with severe mental illness. So there's a, an int- a severity and intensity cloud on top of everything, just to begin with.
1: Yeah. I think the the thing that really resonated with me, and maybe this is just kind of hindsight as 2020, is that, yeah, I was incredibly exhausted. I was feeling very overwhelmed, very bogged down, very out of touch. So all of those things of the definition of burnout, while I also had high satisfaction with what I did. Yeah. Right? And. With the high satisfaction mm. of like how I was helping, I didn't feel necessarily connected to a bigger purpose with the agency, mm. and felt that the agency politic was really exhausting.
0: Mm. Is that you being a nine? <laughs>
1: uh, yes.
0: Enneagram nine alert.
1: Enneagram nines hate conflict because
0: I thought about it the exact opposite way, right? Like I thought of that that political system as a conduit of of progression and change. Like I'm going to I'm sure. going to tap into this and infuse it with whatever I can. And I think that also just yeah. contributed to to my personal experience of burnout.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cuz you pressed into it.
0: Yes. As an Enneagram 8, I wanted to just get my hands real dirty and be real bossy. <laughs> bossy. <laughs> your your favorite word. No. No. No, but I did. I mean, I really I I got really excited about being a frontline leader on a lot of different things, you know. I was I was really involved in our diversity and inclusion projects and uh, yeah, it became very discouraging. So I left
1: 2 years ago around what was it? December, I don't know, 15th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we met like twice a week
0: mm-hmm.
1: throughout the pandemic mm-hmm. and I got to watch you Languish? Yeah. That's a good word for it. Like I I was I was in two minds. I was extremely grateful that I was not in that system any longer um throughout the pandemic. And I was also very worried and concerned about you. Yeah. And those moments of, of just being able to hang out with you over Google Meet <laughs> was really nice just stay sane throughout that whole process.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it was a life raft. Mm -hmm. Everything was, well, because that's what I'm thinking about as you're talking about that definition of burnout is, and the professional quality of life. We're talking about professional quality of life and all the elements that contribute to compassion fatigue. But then when you have pandemic conditions strike on top of all of that, and- can't hurt for it to be a good time for us to address all of our systemic racism as well. Yeah. Which I'm all about and psychologically impacts everyone. Like we are personally and professionally enduring a, a lot, <laughs> just a lot. Yeah. And I think that's what that perfect storm of the personal and the professional colliding together Mm-hmm and there being no separation. I'm working yeah. at home. I'm experiencing at home both my work and just seemingly the world ending and falling apart. Yeah. We didn't know what everything was going to look like in October 2021 in July 2020.
1: Right. I mean and it was always this like just be ready for another change and this very, you know, amb- ambiguous,
2: mm-hmm.
1: tense, worrying time um where you didn't know who to trust.
0: And that's true no matter where we went, right? Like I know. Family members are expressing things that you never knew that they thought, and your (laughs) supervisor is just as lost as you are in terms of what does our work role look like? And, you know, it was, oh God. And then I have my kids' daycares shutting down and I have no clue where they're going to spend their days while I'm trying to help the rest of the world. And it all just... Crashed. I mean, it was Titanic, iceberg, we're all yeah. going down. Something's got to give.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like we're treated like we aren't first responders, but we're not traditional first responders, you know, but we are first responders. This might be a terrible transition, but uh, there's something that... Kind of excites me and is a bit nerdy um, related to my Ph.D. program. I'm shocked. <laughs> and over the last year and a half or so, I've been studying existential phenomenology. And, it's a good
0: time to do that.
1: <laughs> um, it really just kind of aligns with my therapy Theory and and how I kind of approach looking at people's lives and assessing what's going on and uh, how do I intervene and what feels helpful you know all that stuff so basically it's people's experiences of life and their specific point of view and perception and experience and I break that down to culture environments. Relationship and the individual's perception of all of those things Mm -hmm. is very dynamic, and we have to look at all of the influences and try to uh, just understand first. And it's about exploration more than it is about conceptualizing, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: really trying to understand fully. And for me, the conversations about self care were never like that. It was never like this discussion around, you know, Ben, how do you live and how do you experience things and how do you feel and think and and like mm. just naturally react and position yourself to stress. Mm. And I feel like there's an opportunity to bring in more humanity Mm -hmm. to the conversation about self-care and about burnout and like all of the fatigues, the (laughs) compassion fatigue, (laughs) the empathy fatigue, the secondary stresses and those types of things. And that got really highlighted for me throughout the pandemic, Mm -hmm. particularly when there didn't seem to be a consensus on whether or not mental health workers and helping professionals, they weren't necessarily seen as first responders to this whole pandemic. But <sighs> my, my opinion was, we're the ones being asked to help people adjust and cope with this incredible life-changing experience while also trying to figure it out ourselves.
0: We're in the U.S. And it, I mean, it isn't the most socially and psychologically impactful experience. I think above and beyond 9-11. And none of us are, are hurting for clients right now. Like the doors have been blowing off since this stuff happened. What if we all just packed up and went home? Which I still have guilt about packing up and going home in the middle of all of that, by the way.
1: Right. Yeah. It was very, very difficult for me to deal with that on top of like during that time, like my f- family members were having a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. And I felt very protective of them. And I felt very worried and scared that their health issues would be impacted by COVID, by, you know, we were going to the hospital. We were, spending a lot of time out of town. I didn't know where, you know, what was going to happen day to day. And the disorientation of all that, the loneliness of all that, the fear and worry that was constant was very difficult to handle.
0: Because that's what keeps swirling in my head is this, this just blend of loneliness and fear. Yeah. And I think that's like, we can define burnout, but the, emotions of it for me are loneliness and fear. And that's what I didn't understand until, I mean, I don't know if I understood it that well until I'm on this side of it. Right. I worked so hard to keep my life compartmentalized that my work had this armor around it and my personal life had an even harder armor around it because I had to protect each side from the other one, it felt like. Right. And then in the middle of my career, I also my career so far. In the middle, I also had children, which gave me a new sense of being entirely out of control and a new sense of a lot of things to be afraid of. And so I think that uh, that affected my work too, that I just doubled down on controlling and achieving what I could in the workspace. Right. Because the rest of my life was challenged in a way that I didn't have a a rational way to manage.
1: It makes sense to me That when there are complex dynamics in our lives, that, I mean, it's just the idea of cognitive dissonance. Like, we're going to pick the thing Mm -hmm. that gets pushed out of our mind, and Mm -hmm. we're not going to integrate and synthesize, because that's really hard. And when we're really stressed Mm -hmm. out, of course, we're not going to do that. And I think... Part of the what was most meaningful to me throughout the whole time was, you know, yes, I was in therapy. I knew I needed help. I was getting help for my own personal things. While also, right, we were, we were absolutely separated. You know, we could not be around one another. And I'm talking about just me and you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I brought this up in the therapy episode. What's the difference between, you know, getting therapy and having community? And honestly, that time was, I felt like I could see a whole different side of your life Mm -hmm. because you were at home and we were meeting online all the time.
0: I mean, oftentimes they were (laughs) off the book sessions.
1: And uh, I mean, they were, but they were just supportive and they were- They were supportive, and they were vulnerable, and like I knew that you cared. Yep,
0: and I felt seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I didn't need you to prescribe me something.
0: No, because that's the other thing that was hard (laughs) going through the thick of it is when the personal and the professional collide together, and I've held them so separate, I'm not sure who to— turn to. Like who's in my support system when it's all just mixed up? Right. Because my spouse doesn't understand what I do. My mom doesn't understand what I do. My best therapist friends understand what I do, but th- even they oftentimes don't know bits and pieces of my personal life. Right. Because like you said, like we've worked in in competitive places that our personal deep vulnerable relationships don't develop fully. Right. And so I think we found a little pocket of that. Yeah. Of where we could just get all of it at once and understand the mm-hmm. whole the whole beings of ourselves. Yeah. And that was what that journey was for me, is figuring out this new feeling that I'd never felt before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was learning a whole new compartment of my myself, my identity, and what I was gonna do about it.
1: And I got to watch you learn that and and go through that. Like mm-hmm. being able to see you interact with your children were I mean, that was like being able to see you love and care and be so gentle um, was, I mean, that was incredibly meaningful to me. Yeah. We are so excited that you are here. And Although we're really excited to share our stories and our experiences of being professional helpers, we're really excited to hear and share your stories too.
0: Absolutely. We need each other. So don't forget, you can reach us at Being the Work on Instagram. You can also email us beingthework at gmail.com. We are wide open for questions and discussions and connecting. Join the conversation, be
1: connected, and doing and being the work. I, you know, inherently, I knew how much you were keeping personal and professional separate.
0: Mm-hmm. I and that right? was no that was no illusion. I would say that. Yeah, I would speak openly about it. Yeah, it and was a so, stupid point of pride.
1: Yeah, there was pro- <laughs> there like you're it like, worked for uh, a
0: long time, and so I was misled into thinking it would work forever.
1: For me, that I mean, it gave me the courage to be more open about my own self
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and you know not to expect myself to hold everything together and like be perfect in my presentation to even my friends yeah and just be real and it was hard it was very difficult to to Mm -hmm. start that but once I did like and I realized you know People were actually there for me. They actually cared. Yeah. I mean, it was freeing. And honestly, it helped me own a big part of myself and be more authentic with my clients.
0: Well, yeah, because if I'm pursuing my own authenticity and putting that in in the world, and I'm in my house when I'm seeing my clients, I just, I can't help but infuse a little bit more reality. And that was always, I don't know, there's, there's some stuff that I just can't hide. But the more vulnerable, more gentle is actually what I tend to have more covered up. And so to just have that on the table is really just liberating, honestly. Yeah. Because I didn't get burned for being vulnerable. I don't know. I went into a very deep hibernation for a long time. You were one of the only people I saw for a long time. And I found what I needed. And some of what I needed is just to let myself... Just not have something really, really urgent to do, which sounds yeah. ridiculous, except be present, and that has been a project to be present, especially around little children, yeah, it's they kind of require that they don't really give you
1: any any option, which is which is interesting because that's you know the ironic statement that you're saying is just be. You know, not have anything to do, um, but you're having to work a ton to keep your kids, you know, grounded and and uh, fed and and bathed and all of this. Like I got to see it. Like it was, it was mm-hmm. awesome to see you shift into mom mode and to have the the gentleness in your voice that I have never heard before.
0: <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah
1: you know you trained me a little bit when i transitioned over to the crisis team and i got to see you with clients and that was a gentleness in your voice that i had never heard before but this was on this was on a different level yeah it was just illuminating to go oh yeah like this is a different different level of being able to see who you are mm-hmm. and that's where i think the dynamic nature of like you in that space with Kara and with kids, like that was just a different view of who you are. Mm -hmm. I was like realizing in the moment of how, how privileged I was to see that. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was awesome to see, Mm -hmm. which helped me feel like, yeah, like, The isolation that I feel in my house with, you know, same deal. I'm doing therapy from home. My wife's never seen me at work uh, or dealt with me after a session um, (laughs) or dealt with me after, you know, the whole string of four sessions that are super intense.
0: Oh, yeah. I had a long commute. Nobody saw me right after I worked.
1: Right. And so you know with that on top of the family health issues and all of this it was it was just freeing to me to see you and to be able to share my life with you yep and that's where i think the the seeds of healing for me came
2: mhm
1: were Yes, I was in therapy. Yes, I was practicing being vulnerable with that and exploring my own family issues and exploring childhood pain and all that. Oh, yeah. um, but having community with you helped me. Like That was a buoyancy that I hadn't experienced in my career or my life yet. In, in, in this space.
0: Completely, because it was, the, it was the first place that all of those different pieces that had been chopped apart for me just finally started to come together. I mean, that's a different discussion on self-care. I didn't recognize my own mind anymore. I'm a pretty independent operator. Mm-hmm. And there are constantly things happening in here and i didn't trust my mind to make the connections as well or as rapidly as i always have yeah my mind was very bogged down and that was terrifying for me right because yeah my brain is my power i'm yeah i'm not an athlete i am not a performer i am not exceptionally creative i have no other art except my thoughts <laughs> <laughs> And to lose that, and then go through this process of finding what I what I do have, what I can control, what I can do, while all of those receptors regrow, I think I'm back to thinking relatively clearly. Was terrifying. Yeah, and I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm okay. But I was afraid that I was going to lose something that I couldn't b- get back, and that's my mojo. Yeah. And that terror just launched me into being more real. And that's okay with me now.
1: It reminds me of what we've said before, you know, coping skills don't fix loneliness.
0: Mm-mm. No, there was no checklist anyone was going to hand me that was going to overpower what the fuck was happening in my brain. I was like, yeah, I, was, I, I felt like I was at, at a place where I was when I had newborns. Like, is this some sort of dementia? And that was terrifying. Mm. And maybe this is my own gaslighting of myself. I didn't feel like I had a legitimate reason for my mind to feel so out of sorts. Which, when you start to spell it all out, I did. Of course I did. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it connects, if it doesn't matter if it translates, if the equation, there's not an equation for burnout. Even when we try to make one, there's just not.
1: Yeah, it, it reminds me of of just the, you know, the difference between ex- exploring and understanding and going, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a reasonable explanation for why things are happening mm-hmm. versus needing to categorize and define things. We're not always going to have a good definition of stuff, nope. you know, and it's not going to fit everybody's experience. And I think that's what's valuable about this conversation is each of us has a very specific experience with this work and being a human being mm-hmm. and the training that we have and the opinions that we have from it. And we have ownership over it. Like we we go through a lot to, to get to this place where we can be socially recognized as a professional helper. <laughs>
0: well, and even beyond that, just for our profession to be considered a legitimate science, you know, we're always balancing. And that's part of what we are talking so much about, like the humans of us that do this. Yeah. And there's so much of that false bravado work that we do to legitimize ourselves to the rest of the health field.
1: The, the medical profession. And the
0: medical profession. Thank you. We do so much work to legitimize ourselves to the medical profession and to the field of sciences in general that of course some of our humanity gets lost in the mix of that. We're yeah. not allowed to be people because we're working so hard to say no brains matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it
0: feels stupid to have to say that. What we do is pretty fucking legit. The human mind is a scary place. Yeah.
1: It's very complex. It's very complex and relationships are very complex. My passion with this whole thing, with this with this podcast with where I see a big need is community among helping professionals. You know, and I know that there are people out there that have good consult groups and they've got good supervisors that, that focus on humanity and, and help people explore, you know, their own, you know, feelings and thoughts and, and how that relates to how they help people. While my heart is really with the people who don't, Mm. because it was a very difficult place to be, to feel like,
0: all of this was on me. To feel like I'm supposed to know everything.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like people can easily understand what I do. And it has been difficult to feel seen because of that. What I do is very personal to me. And having to spend most of my career... Fighting for legitimacy. And I don't, I know looking back, I didn't have to, but I did. Uh, I felt like I had to prove myself. And I didn't feel seen or heard or understood. And I don't think that that's unique.
0: Mm no
1: it's not i think that we learn to deal with it as helping professionals we learn mm-hmm. to deal with this feeling and mm-hmm. this experience huh. of people not fully understanding what we do but us having a very like like true north of like this is why we are here we know that there are you know mm. we know what brings us here we know what sustains us here we know the watershed moments that that have brought us to this place in our lives but it, the mm-hmm. loneliness that we have to live with or or experience that it's just inherent in this in this process that's where i feel like we are all our best resource to understand this unique experience of living life with yeah. helping people
0: well because it's like we're in on it's like we're in on a secret just by the sake of being behind this curtain that we've talked about. Like we are, we're behind the curtain of humanity. We kind of know some of those undercurrents of what just, what makes people tick. Yeah. And that makes people sometimes take a step back from us. And I think it also makes us keep people at arm's length a little bit too. Yeah. This work is so isolating. We also just get socially tapped. Yeah, And so just the, (laughs) I'm thinking about, when have I made a non a non-helper friend? And, and and it's because of those couple of things. I don't I don't push myself exactly to socialize with people beyond beyond work because there's just so much social with work and I'm an introvert anyway. And so my battery gets a little zapped so i either go to my peers my my therapist friends or i go to people who have known me my entire life yeah i don't make a lot of new not work friends yeah and i think it's because of that there's just this automatic distance people kind of like Ugh, when you tell them what you do and there becomes this built-in dread when you've had so many of those experiences that you're just like i don't right let me speak for myself, that I sometimes just don't want to bother. I dread when people are going to turn to me and ask me, well, what do you do?
1: I feel I feel the same way. And I also realize that the more you know, seen and understood I feel, the more those things don't bother me.
0: Yeah. Well, and the more I'm not bothered by things that I feel like are... Su- Post to be a problem or supposed to bother me or, and I'm yeah. not concerned with what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Right. If I have buffered around me, if I've done my work to know me and not have too many delusions about myself and surround myself with people who feel like they can uh, handle calling me out <laughs> 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 or who I feel safe to be vulnerable with because they're nines usually. <laughs> Yes. Uh, My two best friends are male nines. I don't know. I don't know what that means. That's really funny. (laughs) But when I have, when I have made sure that I have what I need, then uh, I'm just not as bogged down with supposed to. There's a lot of supposed to. Yeah. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a great place to ask everyone that's listening what is what is your experience with burnout? What do you feel like the influences were? What do you feel
0: like helped? With the caveat that it's also not a black and white experience. No. I think there is a spectrum of burnout, just as there's a spectrum of a, of a lot of experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've experienced a few different moments of colliding with my own burnout. Yeah,
1: for sure. There's something that you have said before that really has changed some of my orientation around the idea of self care really isn't self care without self love. Mm -hmm. And it's more like babysitting when we don't actually focus on nurturing ourselves and challenging Mm -hmm. ourselves because, like, (laughs) nurturance is actually affection and care. It's a relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a really important distinction for me.
0: It's funny you bring that up because for some reason it relates to a conversation I had this morning. I was talking to a friend and I was complaining about the main narrator in this book I'm reading. And what I said is she's making these decisions that I don't understand and I'm judging them. And I feel like it's because the author didn't start out with me knowing enough about her oh. to give a shit about her and not judge what she's doing and think she's dumb. And for some reason, that's relating back to I judge myself so much more harshly if I don't start from what am I doing here? Why? Why am I here? And to know enough about myself to have gone through this process of knowing what I'm worth and loving who I am, only then. Can I put some of the judgment aside and just be?
1: Right. The more context and the more curiosity, the less
0: willfulness I have. Ah, uh, you always make me do the context. I just want to keep going. Fine. Reflect. Fine. I'm admitting that I find value in reflecting. Uh. Just handle it or let it go. (laughs) What can you control?
1: Grab the screwdriver and twist. Get the car in. Change the oil.
0: No, no, no. That's what we did last time. I have a new idea. Always a new idea. Damn it. I used to think I was okay at having, practicing mindfulness and having stillness. And my wholehearted inventory still says I'm bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the final frontier of my burnout recovery is being able to be fucking still again. Maybe this is a a wind-up question, because it leaves me with, I started out with, what's your experience with burnout? And sorry, I think we ended up talking more about my experience with burnout. But I guess I'm wondering, where are you at right now on your own burnout spectrum? Um,
1: this is, I guess it's interesting. I find myself at a place where I respect the fact that I think I could, at any given time, something could happen and I could feel very, very overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's particularly about, you know, family health. Things are not completely wrapped up and I have a bigger respect for the things that I can't control. While... I feel a lot more prepared to handle adversity and ambiguity with knowing where my support systems are um, and who I can lean on when needed, but also just my ability to be accepting rather than, you know, try to grab on, manage, twist and turn and control the things like. It's, it's the whole idea of basically radical acceptance, you know, Mm -hmm. um, not trying to push all of the pain out of my life, but just to know that (laughs) it's going to happen and trying to control it is going to make it worse. And that gives me more mindful stance of what actually will be effective Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I have that orientation while I also have this very specific understanding that, you know, given a big thing that happens in my life, that orientation can go away pretty quickly and I'll need to lean on the people that I've got around me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's where I'm at. Yeah. How about you?
0: Mm-hmm. I'm I'm okay. Well, because as as we're asking that and talking about that right now, I'm thinking about like some of the cultural elements of burnout. Um, about a year ago, I picked up the um, the book "Can't Even: How Millennials Came the Became the Burnout Generation." There's something about the career pursuit and this idea of achievement and and our particular governmental system of capitalism that pushes us and pushes us and pushes us. And I don't know that we're okay with it anymore. And so I say that to say, I think we're all going to continue to be a little bit burned out while we try to change some of the systems that we operate in. And (laughs) this is how I know that my therapeutic approach is personal Because exactly what you're talking about is what I turned to. Every day for the last 300, I have challenged myself to accept today as it is. Where I'm at as it is. And willingness and willfulness is a constant battle for me. I am willful. I am a very willful woman. And sometimes that's okay. But that is... It's just funny you bring those pieces up because protecting myself against my own willfulness, which becomes a tight, tense conflict I usually don't need. Right. Is a very big protective factor against burning myself out again. Yeah. To that degree. Mm -hmm. But I think there's just, I think that's part of what we're talking about. The future, as I see it spooled out in front of us, is unpredictable. And there's a lot of scary shit that's probably there. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay today. Yeah. And I might not be tomorrow. And I'm more prepared to manage that. Yeah. So yeah, same.
1: (laughs) What do you hope um, people get out of this conversation?
0: I hope it just feels honest. I hope that resonates. I hope it feels different in a positive and personal way from the ways that we often talk about these topics. Yeah, Burnout is there. Mm-hmm. If, if it's not today, it's looming out there ahead somewhere. And that's okay because it's not our fault. We don't cause our own fucking burnout. We can contribute to it. I had habits that definitely contributed to the, what I hope and pray is the deepest, darkest burnout that I feel in my career. Yeah. I hope that's, I hope that's my rock bottom. Maybe it's not, but I think that I've learned some things that keep me from that exact place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my own boundaries got in the way. My own ideas of who I needed to be got in the way. My management of my time got in the way. My own idealism got in the way. There are plenty of things that got in the way.
1: Contributors.
0: Not faults. Because I also know that some of those are what make me good at my work.
1: Right. I hope that people can hear from this conversation that we need to slow down, that we need to mm-hmm. give ourselves more credit for being able to get through hard things and that we can understand we can understand ourselves better and therefore make better changes if we understand first. And that's yeah. what I want to offer here in this, in this space and in this conversation. We are people that really want to make a difference in life and help people through difficult times in their lives. And we are also, we need to be there for ourselves and for each other. Yep. Because burnout has taken too many people out of this profession.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Good people that are really good at doing this work, that I grieve the loss of those people because the world needs us.
0: Absolutely. We're essential.
1: That just, I mean, you saying that really just, like, hit me in the feelings. (laughs) Like... That word has
0: taken new weight. It's like, yes! God. And... And, a, oh. and uh and
1: <laughs> oh, uh you're so right,, Ew. it's like this emotional experience just now of like rage and sorrow <laughs> It's like like excitement, pride, like yeah, pride, not rage, like yes, and oh sometimes those feel the
0: same to me, <laughs> fuck yeah, and fuck no, feel the same, I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Right,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good.
0: This is a tough topic.
1: It is a tough topic.
0: It's important I think
1: the the being in the space in this space, too, of like really trying to bring in the humanity of the helper. And really try to Mm -hmm. empathize with it and understand it and have compassion for it just feels like a new space and Mm -hmm. feels risky, Mm -hmm. which is something that, I don't know, like, I feel like is needed. So,
0: As always, we're amazed, impressed, excited that we're still in your ears and that you're rejoining us.
1: I just want to remind you that it's always appropriate to reach out for help and to get your needs met. This podcast is for you know social connection and support, uh, but it's not your treatment. Mm-hmm. And we want you to be able to get access to that. So sure. please visit our show notes for some resources to help you find a place to go if you are needing some help. You can reach out to us to share your story and to talk to us about what you're hearing. That is at being the work on Instagram, or you can email us at being the work at gmail.com. Join the conversation. Let's get connected in doing and being the work.